Welcome to episode 180 of the Win6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me this time around is my good friend, my co-site expert on BehindTheBookPass.com, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. How are you? Well, very well. We are Coming to you just after the Bucks' third straight victory, their Sunday matinee win over those pesky Chicago Bulls. The season-long drought against the Bulls is over, having lost both previous games this season against the cellar-dwelling Chicago Bulls. The Bucks finally got it right. They went into the United Center, and they put together a pretty convincing performance and came away with a very solid win on Sunday afternoon. And with that, everything's right again in the world of books, right, Jordan? Celebrate. Right? I was going to sing the song and then I quickly aborted. I would have been all for that. Yeah. Is that Earth, Wind, and Fire? Right? Celebration? I think so. Well, regardless, uh, the bull, uh, Bulls, Bucks brought the earth, wind, and fire to take down the Bulls today. Okay, uh, I guess we can allow that. Jordan, of course, the biggest change since this time a week ago when we recorded the equivalent episode of Winning Six is the change of head coach. We've Ooh. talked. I don't know if you've heard, Jordan, but Jason Kidd is no longer the head coach of Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. Uh, we've talked about this at great length on the bonus episodes of our podcast throughout the week. So rather than kind of getting lost in those details, rather than focusing too much on Jason Kidd, on this occasion, we're looking forward, Jordan. And uh, The man we're going to talk about is the interim head coach, the man who was a longtime assistant coach under Kidd, Joe Brunty. Hashtag playoff Prunty is 3-0 to start his most recent interim spell with the books. He's got a real chance. John Horse continues to stress that, you know, we really like Joe Prunty. He's got as good a chance of anyone to get himself in the mix in terms of the, the widened search that's expected to come this summer for the head coach. And he started off pretty well since Prunty has been in charge. Not the toughest schedule, needs to be said. Don't worry, I'll dampen things more with talk of schedule as Jordan really gets you all way too excited. Mm. But all the same, as many have pointed out to me already when I say this, 
wins against the Suns, the Nets, and the Bulls weren't necessarily things that were givens under Jason Kidd. Mm-mm. You know, they're the sort of games that would quite often trip the books up. Maybe not quite as often this season, and um, with the obvious exception of the Bulls, but still winning the games you're supposed to win, that's a real change for the positive for the books overall. With that, though, there's been plenty of good signs. I don't want to get too lost in. I don't want to dive too deep into real specifics of the offense, the defense. We can touch on some nice trends we're seeing, but again, remember the teams they've played. But we will talk about the positives we're getting so far out of the new look books, out of the team being coached by Joe Prunty. Just to touch on to basically please Jordan this is I'm going to give you a three game snapshot of how the books rank in the NBA since Joe Prunty took over are you ready Jordan? I am ready with all my heart so over the last three games the books have an NBA fourth best offensive rating of 114.7 an NBA second best defensive rating (laughs) Of 96.9, which combines for an NBA best net rating of (laughs) 17.7. Also worth noting, the books are second in true shooting across that span at (laughs) 62.7%. Only the Golden State Warriors at 63.3% can surpass them in that regard. Other positive trends, top 10 in assists, Mm. which is very much something to to be happy about. They have turned the ball over a little bit more often, 14.3 turnovers per game, which has them in the middle of the pack. But again, again, that's, that's a byproduct of looking to move the ball a little bit more. And definitely that's something that's evident in the book's play. The defense is tweaked. We'll get into that, I'm sure, a little bit more and definitely a lot more in the future. But the one notable thing about a defense that isn't quite as aggressive, isn't quite as press-heavy, as trap-heavy, is the fact that playing more conservatively, Jordan, the Bucks lead the NBA over the past three games in steals per game at 11.3 <laughs> per game. You're enjoying this very much, Jordan. That much, that much is obvious. Um, how much of it's sustainable? Another one I'm looking now because I'm just kind of working through these. They're turning the turning the NBA in three point percentage, forty four point one per game. How much of this is sustainable? What are you seeing that are you seeing enough that you're confident this isn't just the quality of opposition they faced? Um, well, that's a very good question. But regard before I dive into that topic i just want to say the man from sunnyvale california has certainly signing up these skies around milwaukee since he has been tasked to uh take over for jason kid um in terms of being sustainable is obviously a big question i agree the strength of opponent has not been great considering both both all three of phoenix chicago and brooklyn are sure to be uh lottery teams mid-tier lottery teams probably um but look on the other 
the other side of this. All three games, the Bucks have been without one key rotation player at minimum. First was Giannis, since he was, you know, obviously out for the week for managing his knee pain. Uh, the last two games, the Bucks been been without Malcolm Brogdon with a core calf. I was going to say core saftness, calf soreness. That is how you say that. Hashtag trophy. Um, so you're without a key component in your rotation. And again, these this is not the greatest quality of opponents, but you hit it on the head that these are <laughs> under these kid these games what should have been givens were not. Uh, even if it wasn't a loss, I mean, think about like the Kings game in Milwaukee where that kind of perilously <laughs> flirted with them, uh, you know, kind of fumbling at the finish line or the goal line to uh, complete my football analogy there. Um, think about the Dallas game too. That was kind of a sluggish win, eventual win. Um, and I mean, the Suns game too, obviously they're really shorthanded. That's, so that's kind of an outlier game. But anyway, um, it definitely is respond well, or not respond. That's not English. It's, it there is definitely a change of a morale boost since this has happened. There have been tweaks with more, uh, I don't know, uh, more purpose activity. What was it? Purpose. Purpose. Yes, I would. Yes, there's been greater purpose in terms of what has uh, the early sample size of uh, as from what we've seen under Prunty. But um, I don't know. I I don't know. I, again, I think we talked about it on Thursday's podcast about expectations from now until the end of the season with Printy at at the helm. And I'm still, I will still, even as jazzed up as I am, um, I will still uh, err on the side of caution until otherwise. Especially since the Bucks are going to add another piece that they have to integrate with Jabari whenever he returns. So that's going to kind of Whatever we're seeing now, it, that's going to have to change under when uh, Jabari comes back eventually. So um, it's been good so far, no doubt. Sunny Vale, sunny, everything's sunny. I mean, even beyond Jabari, it's always sunny under Prunty. You mentioned Brogdon. Like Prunty already has a really set rotation, a really well defined rotation, which I know Bucks fans is not something any of us are used to, but. He's going to have challenges in going, okay, well, who drops out or where do I shift minutes? Do I, do I expand the rotation, not just to bring in Jabari, which will happen very soon, but also to bring back Malcolm Brogdon, which will likely happen even sooner. So there, there are going to be challenges with that. I mean, just to briefly dampen things before getting on to what we can all kind of get involved in, get behind, the defense is the thing that I'm most skeptical about, although there are very positive signs just in terms of them doing things fundamentally different. The Bulls rank 29th in the NBA in offensive rating. Suns are 27th. Nets are 26th. They've played three bottom five offensive teams. So as much as they're second in the NBA across that span defensively, we're not seeing them trap as much. They're doing things differently and doing so very effectively as those steals per game numbers would indicate. At the same time, you're playing teams that against the best defense, the worst defense, they're not good at scoring. So I think that's something I'll be interested in observing when when they go on to play teams this week, like 
the Philadelphia 76ers and the Timberwolves, who at least have more obvious scoring threats, you know? Yes. How they deal with teams who have players who can just go and score quite easily. And they, just just to on. quickly interject, that defensive rating is boosted by both the Bulls and Nets having horrible first-half shooting, or f- shooting first-halves in their games Friday and Sunday. So whatever schematic changes there have been early on, it's also helped that they can't, they weren't hitting from three or, you know, having porous uh, shooting days. Yeah. Well, I think to kind of move to a positive and to touch on something I already talked about, I mean, part of that is, I think the books started both of those games very well and were ready to play from the off and they deserve some credit for the impact they had on bringing those shooting numbers down where, I guess one of the, the trends we have seen is, you know, that Suns game was close throughout. They managed to pull through a close game. The Nets game really could have gone quite badly when they let them in towards the end of the third quarter. If I remember correctly, the Nets had 37 points in the third. Yep. And then you're going into the fourth and you're going, okay, well, this is not at all comfortable. And they came out and they just picked it up like they had in the first half and they killed the game really quickly, 25-point win. That is not something we've ever really seen. To follow that up with the Bulls game, where, again, really comfortable lead, but starts to dissipate, gets a little bit closer, Bulls have some momentum, and yet the Bucks match to come out and just maintain the lead. They didn't maybe build it quite as much, but they maintained it. They were able to manage the game in the fourth quarter and still win the game very comfortably. That was really, really positive. I think... On the defensive end, you're seeing different positioning from Ton and Henson. Um, just both guys being utilized quite differently or uh, being allowed to play different roles and roles that suit them better than they were in Jason Kidd's scheme. And the books are just doing what we said all along is, you know, the the whole advantage of having a team as long as this is you don't have to go and gamble as often because you have the length required to cover up the cracks when they appear you don't have to go and make them and then say oh well we might get away with it sometimes because we're long enough it's like if you if you stay in position your length is an even greater asset than just applying high pressure and going we've got a better chance of recovery it's like don't create the gaps to begin with we're seeing a lot more of that from the books it's working nicely again it's better teams would be interesting to see the offense I think there are a few things. Obviously, Yanis missed one game, and it's tough to get a read on anything out of that in terms of the books without Yanis, what they are. There are things that have kind of coincided with this. Um, maybe we saw just towards the end of Jason Kidd's time, Chris Middleton is shooting really, really well. And yep. I'm, I'm not even talking about his numbers. I can't remember the last time I've seen a Chris Middleton jumper touch any kind of iron on the way down <laughs> like it's yeah. about as it's about as smooth as i've seen his jump it was shot like, a long long time it was kind of like when he not right after he came back last year but like when he started this there was the, there's just this one game that i vividly remember where they're playing the lakers is that moose enforce forcer game against uh nick young but he was like carrying the bucks where he was just like hitting shots after shot after shot. I was snapping my finger off microphone, if you could not hear that. Uh, rhythmically, that's how uh, <laughs> how much of rhythm he was in. I think um, that might be something that he's continuing to benefit from, from Prunty's offense. I'd say it probably is, because they're more creative. It's very obvious. They're doing a lot more in terms of just... I, 
the Bucks did a lot in terms of simple dribble handoffs. They're using it more creatively. I think screen setting seems to be more active from what I can see. The ball is definitely moving better, which regardless of what they're doing, regardless of the kind of plays they're setting or when they're setting them within the clock, we've talked a lot about it, just how stagnant things have got recently. And we'll probably talk a little bit later about Eric Bledsoe. He had kind of mentioned maybe his presence or his style being something of a factor in slowing the offense down or at times disrupting the flow. Eric Bledsoe's played pretty awful the last three games overall, and it still hasn't taken anything away from the books getting in a real rhythm offensively, being able to move the ball, being able to find high-quality looks, whether it's behind the arc, in the mid-range, at the rim. They're just getting really good shots. And it's not complicated. You've got guys cutting again. You've got guys working off the ball. And the ball is moving. So you're going you're gonna to get good shots naturally as a result of those two things. It's just the books had really stopped doing a whole lot of that. And they were relying on, oh, well, Giannis is good enough to just go and get his. I think the difference is Giannis struggled in the first quarter. I guess even you could possibly say first half against the, the Bulls. Mostly first quarter. The Bucks were in no sort of tough spot because of that, because they were playing team basketball. The bench had 24 points by about halfway through the second quarter. That is not something that ever happened under a kid, but it's because you're trusting in your bench, you're giving good looks to them, and you're giving them permission to take shots. That, for me, has been maybe the most notable trend, and I think it's something we saw even he had one game earlier in the season. Bronte will go to his bench, and he will go to his bench together, and he will play them for meaningful minutes. And the results have been positive so far. This is kind of interesting because I know, well, I don't know if Bode was, I know I in particular recently have kind of been looking to rally against the Bucks bench being terrible because I don't honestly think it is, and it'll be even less the case when Jabari and Brogdon are both healthy. But we're seeing really positive results from the bench just by putting good, solid, and logical lineups together. Like, Yanis and the bench. Yanis, four-second unit, guys. Makes a ton of sense. Similar when... to, like, Raptors, how they deploy, like, Kyle Lowry in bench units or DeMar DeRozan in bench units. Right, it's, and maybe it's more akin to DeRozan because if you look at the groups that Pronti's putting out there with Yanis, like everyone was kind of, you know, Jets playing a lot again. What is what is this about? It's kind of a little bit unusual. I think one thing is, well, considering the situation, Prunty wants, I would imagine Prunty wants an experienced head on the floor. Yeah. I would imagine he wants someone who's a veteran who can guide some of the younger players through it. If there's any uncertainty on where they should be, what they should be doing, because they are making changes. He wants someone out there who can work with that. But the other thing that Jason Terry offers, and the Bulls game was maybe the first example we got of this this season, is he offers spacing. Yep. He made four trees against the Bulls. And in that lineup, you've got Yanis, you've got four bench guys, and the bench guys are Delhi, they're Jason Terry, they're Sterling Brown, they're Ton Maker. I'm not saying all four of those guys are 40% shooters. If you leave any of them open behind the three-point line, there's a chance they can make the shot. And that's all it takes. The other thing, too, about Jason Terry really quick in the minutes that we've seen of him under Prunty. I know defensively, I mean, you think about that Cavs game, like that, what was it, the third game of the year? Second game? Second mm-hmm. game. 
where he's shadowing Kyle Corver and you know just not playing. <laughs> Kyle Corver is a tough guard. It was, it was for more anybody. like he was chasing Kyle Corver. Yeah, he was chasing Kyle Corver. Um, but defensively, he's been really good. He's had really good anticipation with steals or just forcing turnovers or just altering passes. Like even blocks last year was a big part of his game. Yeah, we it? talked about like th- that's the thing about like Jason Terry. Like his shot has not been there the whole season. Whenever he has gotten run, but it wasn't like he was that unplayable to survive defensively because he was doing well enough, even in spot in his you know limited minutes or minimal minutes compared to like what he was doing in his career. Like. It, I don't know. It's just, you could, again, under these early things that we're seeing, he's just not having to do as much as what Kid was asking him to do, like chase Cal Corver, having to, you know, just survive in a defensive scheme that is clearly those just out of date and so, so problematic. Right, but there's also, I think, with the way Prunty trusts in the bench, there's some very simple, logical things that, I guess in some ways, maybe they're not major departures from Kid, but instead of putting four bench guys out there with Chris Middleton, like that's asking Middleton to do a lot more than what best suits his game. You put them out there with Yanis, and you let Yanis be the guy because he has got the tools to do that. And then when your bench guys are shooters or at least at least passable, at least respectable, teams have to pay attention to them. Put them out there with Giannis, and you're you're actually building a really good lineup out of spare pieces. Like I mean, mm-hmm. with no disrespect, it's Giannis and spare change, and that's they're going out there and they're finding a way to be really really productive. And Kid may have put Giannis out there with the bench, but what else would he do? He might put Eric Bledsoe out there with him. So all of a sudden, you've got less spacing. The lineup is just less coherent overall. It's just very simple things of. Okay, well, when Giannis is out there, you can sit both Chris and Eric and not just get them rest, but also to kind of let them get out of his way. Giannis is out there, let him work. You know that Delhi's going to keep the ball moving. He's an intelligent passer. Someone like Jed is going to be ultimate low usage. He's going to go stand in the corners. He's going to run off screens. He's going to give you really good effort defensively. Sterling Brown's a capable shooter and he's a really good defender. And then you've also got more room for Ton to kind of, you know, it's, it's a little bit more of a free roll for Ton because he's got Giannis beside him, and that's that's somewhat of a help when you consider Ton's rebounding difficulties, his lack of strength inside. If you've got Giannis nearby most of the time, you may get away with some of that. That's just a lineup that's nothing special. You're not talking about the guys being in it as being the best players the books could possibly put out there, aside from Giannis, and yet you're seeing positive results. Because it's just a matter of going, okay, these are the pieces I've got. How do they best work together? The other thing that he's doing with the bench is everyone's getting significant minutes. They're getting consistent minutes. If you're playing and you're playing at any time in the game that matters, it seems like under Pronti, you'll probably already have had 10 minutes in a game. You know, you're not going to come in in the fourth quarter and not having played at all and all of a sudden have to play through the game. Everyone's getting enough time that they can get into rhythm. That you can work up relationships with teammates. That lineups can actually develop chemistry. Because there's these really solid blocks by half time. I mean, there's been at least two games where at half time, starter minutes and second unit minutes were really, really similar. You could look at both and the second unit, because they've been playing pretty well too, 
would be right up there with a lot of the starters. That might sound like something that you go, oh, well, you don't really want to do that. That's where all your talent is. But it's just better roster management overall. And when you're getting positive minutes out of guys like that, you've got to ride it. We've seen the minutes come down for the likes of Yanis, for Middleton, for Bledsoe. Like, Yanis played virtually the whole fourth quarter up until garbage time. And not looking at it right now, but I feel like he may have topped out at 35, 36 minutes against the Bulls, which... 34 and a half. 34 and a half, even better. I mean, that's you, you're playing him for a long time. Long spells in the fourth quarter. Imagine getting to the fourth quarter under Jason Kidd without Giannis being in foul trouble and being able to play him for most of the quarter while still coming in at 34 minutes total. It would be impossible. It's just better roster management. It's showing more thought going into rotations all around. And that, to me, is the thing that I'm most pleasantly surprised by even because I, I don't know if I was I don't think I did think that Prunty would have that I think anyone could improve on Jason Kidd's rotations but I think he's finding some things that are really interesting and now the big question will be how does Brogdon get integrated into that does Brogdon mean Jack comes out of the rotation completely is that a problem it probably isn't because if you put Brogdon in and he's given Jason Terry's role of you know being the, the corner shooter defender like like we saw from terry against the bulls well brogdon is going to be able to do all of that probably better and he's going to give you more jabari is probably that's a bigger he's probably something of a wild card and it's as much as anything it's just because the books have got used to having no forward depth that like the reason the books have a nine-man rotation where four guys come in is because they don't have a power forward really to come in off the bench you know They have to go nine. There's not an option for 10. You're going to give DJ Wilson really heavy minutes. That's probably just one step too far. Let's move it on, Jordan. Let's kind of get into that because with all the good feeling that's coming from the three-game winning streak and the positive results or the returns that we're seeing from the coaching change, more good news is at least visible on the horizon. Who knows? It could be as soon as the next few days. It could be this week. At the latest, you're probably talking the best part of two more weeks before Jabari comes back. Word is there will be a kind of a more concrete timeline that at least he will have, whether it's shared publicly, we don't know. In the coming days, he will have a more concrete timeline for his official return. But what we do know is February 11th was the date they had kind of signaled out the week before the all-star break and from all signs we're seeing and notably we're seeing a whole lot more of jabari on all book social media it seems like we're really really close now is that the feeling you've got too jordan well yeah i mean today as we record there was a report from wtmj a local milwaukee news station saying that there's talk that he his target day is to return this week um so there's four games who knows what game that means but uh yeah i mean between that and i'll I'll tell you what game Knicks friday home to the knicks it's gonna be a home game you've got to imagine and that's still that's end of the week you're about a week ahead of the kind of mark they had cautiously penciled in i i'd say friday 
I would agree. Um, yeah, I mean, between that, I mean, he's been – we've seen him more with the team, obviously, in terms of just practicing, even talking to media. Obviously, that was the case after Kid got fired, but seen more of that. The social media buzz, the last, like, four or five days, they've tweeted out a picture for the team's account. I mean, things have been ramping up towards him returning. And yeah, I, I do think it's going to be this week. And I, yeah, Friday seems like a very good bet considering home game and all that. So I don't know. I, it's going to be exciting. But again, we've been through this before. And I remember the types of raised expectations that there were. And again, that the Bucks then to now is a very, I mean, in terms of players, in terms of schematically, in terms of Jason Kidd not being there anymore. Um, they're a much different team compared to when Jabari returned last time, but there's certain aspects of his game that we'll be watching, wanting to watch carefully, obviously, because he, he was not the shooter that he was um, upon returning the first time. And he's not the shooter that he was from that point till he got hurt last year too. So it's all going to be about comfort, confidence, and kind of, Three C's. I can't think of another C right now. Uh, comfort, confidence, and consistency. Uh, consistency. There we go. Don't know if it makes sense, but no, it's a C. So, I mean, there is there is one other option. It's probably the option I'd prefer if he was to return this week. Let's send him to the herd, and he can go on their their road trip midweek. Play the Mad Ants on Thursday. Play at home to the Memphis Hustle on Saturday. I believe. And then be back with the books next week or week after, I should say. Um, that's there's probably no harm in that. It's probably a really good idea and the best use of that, considering how often they've used them. Assign them down to Oshkosh to the herd for practice. That might be a way of doing it. I don't know if they're quite thinking like that though. I, I'm not sure if we're getting any signals that he'll actually get game time with the herd to kind of work his I way don't think back. Th- I don't think that was ever their intention. Uh, well, I think the, the thing about that is he, if this was his first ACL, we may have already seen him on the court by now, and we may have seen him get that rust off with the herd in the G League. But from everything we're seeing in terms of clips of him working out, whether it's a practice or before games, Jabari is not anywhere near kind of off the pace in terms of, okay, there'll be an adjustment for game pace, but he really seems as fully recovered as he can possibly be and ready to go. So I don't know if it's as much shaking rust off just generally as, well, he's got to get used to NBA level. So maybe, maybe the herd isn't necessarily the answer because by all accounts, by what his teammates have said, by some of what he said himself, you know, if the injury wasn't so serious and it wasn't the second time that had forced him into being as cautious as they were, he probably would have been back earlier. He may have been back two, three weeks ago. So it's good to see that he's looked right. He's looked good to go for quite a while, and yet he still hasn't come back to the court because, you know, this is really, really important. It's... Something I know feelings could be mixed about Jabari amongst fans. Some think, okay, it's not necessarily ever going to work in terms of his fit with the team, or you may get more out of trading him. They don't want the next contract, whatever that may be. 
I mean, his talent offensively is pretty much undeniable. I don't know how you can watch what the books are doing right now and not be excited about the prospect of Jabari coming off the bench. Or even if Jabari was a starter, staggering your rotations more so that he's leading second unit groups more often. I, I just think there's something really, really special, really, really exciting about that prospect that when you get to the playoffs, I mean, that's when you can actually rotate guys around. You're not necessarily having to play the crazy heavy minutes load, and yet you've got more than capable, really, really top-level players on the floor at all times. I think that option is something that needs to be explored. I'm not going to ask you what your expectations are because there's no point, because I think you'd agree with me that we shouldn't be getting into the expectations game on Jabari. What are your hopes for what we'll see for Jabari between whenever he comes back and the end of the season? I, uh, I, I think just confidence, honestly, it's very simple. I don't, I don't really, of course you'd want to see positive shooting numbers and any stat based, uh, primarily offensive category and <laughs> maybe not defensively, but anyway, I think just confidence. I mean, I just remember how that was those kind of was that early November to like basically the All-Star break and just how you could see flashes of brilliance there and then, you know, have him just kind of be lost and then kind of kill dribbles really quickly. He just he wasn't sure of himself. There were a lot of passive uh, games, I think is the best way of characterizing that from my memory. Yes, very passive games. And that was what was kind of frustrating. And I mean he was still, we would see that from time to time, even as he kind of grew into himself and before his injury happened last year. But when Jabari just kind of knowing how dangerous he can be with the head of steam and how shifty and all the moves that he possesses offensively, when he kind of isn't, we stuck between two gears and isn't. Uh, looking to attack or kind of, you know, just kind of streaking the floor and kind of just jump, you know, jumbling things up on, you know, on the way to the basket or something like that. It's just really not pretty to watch. And I think, I don't know. I, I don't know if how long this will be because as I said before, that was like three months and we having to deal with all that from, what do the Bucks do about that? That's obviously going to be a big storyline as he grows into, uh, you know, getting his uh, plane shape back. But it's just all about confidence and trying to resume where he was uh, gradually. And then if he can kind of hit where he was, maybe not to the level where he was before he got hurt again, but kind of level into this, you know, coming off the bench and really tightening up that second unit and boosting it. Um, I mean, that could be, that could be really beneficial for the bucks in terms of just like playoff success, but who knows? We, we, just, I don't know. I, I, like you said, I don't want to place ex- any expectations on it. concerning what we saw the first time. I think the interesting thing when you compare the first time to now is Jabari became a very different player in the time that passed between then in terms of he didn't necessarily have the mid-range game. He certainly didn't have some of the success he'd started to have from three-point range in his arsenal at the time he came back from that first injury. And 
I wonder even even if he's passive, I think he may have more tools now to cope with that than we necessarily saw first time round. So that that will be something interesting to watch. If you know there there will be naturally some sort of trepidation from Jabari, and he may be passive for five, ten, fifteen games, and it's I I think it's hard to kind of it's hard to be critical of that because for as much as he has riding on that time and coming back in terms of, you know, contract year and what he can maximize out of it and proving his fit in the team, proving his worth to the books or his worth to another team who may be interested if he does hit free agency or the books don't choose to match offers, you know, it's just a big spell because he wants to play basketball for the rest of his career and his career may not be that long if he doesn't do things the right way and it happens again. And it's the absolute worst case scenario. It's what none of us want to think about. But for Jabari himself, he's got to think about it. You know, it's got to be there. And he's got to he's got to be wary of that and then also know when to put that behind him and push on and say, No, I feel good, I feel strong, I feel confident. Let's go beyond that. I mean, finding his rhythm, finding his role within the team that might be the biggest challenge, not just because he could be coming off the bench, most likely will, but also because Eric Bledsoe's here, Malcolm Brogdon's here, you know, Chris is back. There's just, there's a mix of different factors. He hasn't had all of those things together at any time. In the case of Bledsoe, he never had that option at all, really. Um, there's there's a lot for him to figure out there, but if he can get, if he can get a handle on that without necessarily having a really great season from now up till the postseason, you know, if Jabari can get at least get to the playoffs healthy, having shaken off rust and with confidence in not just where he is in terms of his fitness and his ability, but also his role. Like the books could almost see very little from Jabari for five months, five months. Where am I going? I didn't even think about how many months it was. You're going to June. I just threw out five months. Yeah, I am going to do it. Uh, okay, let's stick with five months for argument's sake, Jordan. If the books are nothing from Jabari for five months and then all, all of a sudden, just because he felt good and he felt assured in his role, he could have a 20-point outburst off the bench in a playoff game. That's what the books miss. You know, That's what you look at this book's roster and you're like, where does that come from? Where does... This is the guy. They have the answer. They have the answers to all of these questions, really. It's just about getting a break where everything kind of He's sticks. Gerald Green. He's Buck Survivor. And more I mean that that I I know I'm making a joke there, but that makes sense, really. I mean it makes Not sense. Not Gerald comparison, I'm saying no, Buck but it, Yeah, no, but that's worthwhile because it makes sense showing just how ridiculous those little things were when everyone was like Look what they look what they let go in Gerald Green. They're gonna have Jabari Parker, and you're worried about Gerald Green. <laughs> like that's that's what they have to look forward to, and I think that for me is the big thing of just let them work through it, and let them work through it for a couple of months, if that's what it takes. But if the Bucks can get to a place where Jabari's minutes don't disrupt the team overall, and they allow everyone else to continue doing what they're doing. And they can finish the season strong as a team. Well, then nothing else matters because then all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and you have Jabari Parker as an auxiliary threat that an opposing team has to worry about in the series. That's a big deal. Whether that's and... a decoy, a reliever for Giannis, for Middleton, for Bledsoe, 
or if he is playing well enough that he can be kind of a go-to option in his own right, that matters. That transforms the look of a book's playoff series. And from what we have seen from Prunty, albeit it's just been three games, but as we talked about with rotations and just kind of game management, I mean, that's incredibly encouraging because it's not just about Jabari. It's about how he's deployed. How do you, you know, get the best out of the limited minutes that he's going to initially have for, you know, who knows how long, good two months at least, maybe till the end of the season. I guess, I guess that's two months, but still, I mean, seeing what he, I mean, cause you're going to have to see what he looks like with a, a lineup of like Bledsoe, Snell, Middleton, Jabari, Giannis, or something like that, or even throwing Brogdon in there, obviously, and switch out some, someone like Bledsoe or maybe Snell. I mean, these are the things that you have to see from him before, obviously, a summer of such a big question of what do you do when, you know, you're negotiating his next contract and all that stuff. So that, that stuff is equally as important in terms of how Jabari's going to look in terms of how Prunty kind of gets the best out of him in terms of who's on the floor with him. Cause obviously there are his defensive flaws, but when he's kind of working his way back into things, let kind of basically, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him kind of get have a similar lineup to like that Giannis all bench lineup. Maybe put him out there with maximum shooting and maximum guys doing hustle plays like Sterling Brown does and Delhi and all this stuff and Thon, hopefully, obviously. Well, that's you might actually be able to have a five, you know, a straight second unit lineup. Yeah. The books yeah. may well be in a position where they can rest all five starters at once and you'll have Brogdon and Jabari out there. Like that's that's what we've been talking about. We said the books bench isn't that bad. That's a luxury that isn't afforded to most teams. Uh, the one last thing on that I'd say is I feel a lot more comfortable in that Jason Kidd won't be the person managing Jabari's minutes coming back yes. and that it will be yes. Joe Prunty. And that's just based off three games of how we've seen Prunty kind of diligently manage and stick to rotations. That's going to much better serve Jabari in his recovery as he works back up to full speed. Uh, let's move it on. Not in a whole lot of detail, but I want us to at least touch on something of a concerning trend recently for the books. And it kind of coincided, you know, with they had this really good run post trade and he played pretty well once he settled in after a couple of tough games. And then when things went off the boil a little bit, we've seen Eric Bledsoe struggle. Last 10 games for Eric Bledsoe, 41% from the field, 29.3. Actually, you know what? They were last 15 game numbers I was looking at. Last 10 games, even worse. Brace yourself, Jordan. In 31.7 minutes per game, he's averaging 14.6 points, 3.2 rebounds, 4.1 assists. The one obvious positive is 2.9 steals. I believe he's leading the NBA in steals per game. Where it's not so pretty. 36.6% from the field. 22.8% from three on 5.7 three-point attempts per game. His shooting is a real problem. Particularly when he's shooting at that volume. Should he just keep shooting, though? The way, the way I'm kind of coming at that is, you know, he's not single-handedly killing the books at all times. 
is it better that he just keeps defenses honest by at least saying I'm willing to take that shot and like that 22.8 almost six attempts per game he is making a tree at least every game at the moment on average 1.3 three point makes over that spell and that's pretty pretty much in line with what he's been doing in the season do you just say okay take those shots because you're forcing the defense to at least pay attention to you still or does he need to look at how he approaches things? I mean, 4.1 assists to 2.8 turnovers, that's not really ideal for your starting point guard. If you were Joe Pronti, if you were the books, what are you looking to do in terms of riding the ship with Eric Bled so soon? Um, I mean, In terms of the shooting question, I think it's simple. I, I, I would write it out. Um, I know he kind of... The thing with that, you're writing it out. I I agree with that. I'd be the same, but I'd be writing it out fully prepared that it's never gonna get better. Really, it might get slightly better, but he's not a he's not a good shooter. So you're you're kind of just saying, okay, we're gonna live with that because our team can live with that. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, he's still shooting thirty six point four percent on catch and shoot threes, which is three point or three three point attempts per game at this point. That's not a bad number to go off of. And what's his? What do you have that in front of you? What's his volume? What's he attempting? What's his catch and shoot attempts per game? Three three point attempts per game. I mean, all right. So then his percentage on pull up or whatever other way he's taking twenty two point four. Right. I mean, they've got to go. Do yes. you do you yes. do you actually go that way though? Do you think the books need to talk to Eric Bledsoe about? what way he's doing things or will that prompt an Isaiah Thomas situation where you know what did you what did you trade me for? I can only I put up Eric so um I don't know. I mean that I, I know the shooting thing gets that's what people talk about and understandably so the the stuff that kind of irks me about it is his his decision making while in transition. Like there was one today where he kind of granted the guys that are, you know, flanking him are like Thon, and I think it was, was it Jason Terry or Tony Snell? Someone that just plop, plopped up in the corner. And Bledsoe was running, and the lane kind of filled in. And Giannis was kind of cramping where he was going to go if he were to attack the, the hoop. So he kind of stuck, he was stuck in mud. Then all of a sudden, David Nwaba just basically just strong arms the ball out of his hands. And, you know, registers a turnover it's stuff like that where he he has like the other thing too about Bledsoe he has the widest outcome of passes like if it's an easy pass like just swing it over to the corner of like to find the open man he can really like fastball it or he just puts like a bunch of like arc on it and lofts it up so it's a harder it's an easier catch to grab but it can it's more easier for the defense to steal it basically he he fluctuates between these like random like he throws Tondo's fastballs a lot, though, which doesn't work well for obvious reasons. No, it's it's really strange. Like his, I don't know. Is that just... not though? If we're talking about kind of his past profile, I guess is what that is. And picking part of that is still getting to know teammates, is it not? Which you, you'd think he's getting there now, but you should know which guy I can just fire this into his chest and he's going to catch it easily, and which which kind of guy I do have to lob it up and risk someone potentially coming and stealing it. Yeah, but he. I don't know. I don't think that's just. He's been here for what three months now. I think that is. I we maybe have to ask like a Suns fan or something like that 
if that was very common because it is like it's almost like Jeff T. Te- I remember Jeff T. would have like kind of like a similar thing. I don't know if you would notice this, but I just remember like him having weird kind of just how he just <laughs> just fastballs it to guys like like you said with Thon or just throws it out of like their catch radius or something like that. And it's like, huh, like what? Like, the thing, the thing with Teague though is he's a guy who, I mean, seven, eight assists wouldn't be uncommon for him to, to average kind of throughout a season. Like Bledsoe is right down on that scale. So I think you, you live with that if you're just throwing so many purposeful passes that you're kind of, you know, assist opportunities that some are off. It's he's not really, he's not really making those killer passes all that often. So that when he is making them and they're not being completed, that's more problematic. Like yeah. we have to, we have to move on pretty quickly. And I, I didn't want to devote a whole lot of time to this because you've got to hope that he's going to kind of just shake out of this. And it is just a little bit of a funk he's going through. I mean, his defense is obviously something that you can work with. As I mentioned, I think he is currently leading the league in steals per game. I don't know if you've looked at that recently or that sounds right. He is 2.2 steals per game. First in the NBA. Do do you just kind of live with that? And particularly if Brogdon and Jabari are going to be there in the second unit, you could say, okay, well, he's got a lot of obvious talent. Opposing teams will respect him. And even if he does struggle, if Middleton's playing well, if Giannis is playing well, we're going to be fine anyway. Is that the way you'd approach that at the moment? Probably. I mean, we'd have to dive deeper into this, but how many times have we seen him kind of shoulder an an otherwise, you know, full bench unit, kind of like the Giannis lineup or, you know, maximum shooting kind of lineup with, you know, Jet or, or Sterling or Thon or something like that. Like, I'd be interested, I don't know. I'd be interested in that when Jabari's back because I think the problem with Bledsoe in bench lineups like that is he's ending up beside Brogdon a lot of the time. Yeah. And then you've got two ball handlers, and if he ends up playing off ball, you're really just, you know, what? why are you doing that? Uh, <laughs> we've just gone through the shooting numbers. Like, someone else who's a dynamic trap but doesn't necessarily need the ball in a second unit lineup, that would be interesting. So maybe with Jabari back, you get a different look at Bledsoe with some bench guys, and he can really run a unit. But I think up until now, Brogdon's presence, maybe even Delhi's presence, you're always going to have one of those two guys because the books are short on forwards or short on centers. They don't necessarily help him because you're forcing him off ball. Yeah. And that's we we talked about this privately, but I think, you know, Basically, since he's come, he hasn't played with Mirza, uh, floor spacing four. And he hasn't had that kind of shooting, kind of pick and pop guy where he can really kind of either hit a roller or kick it out or anything like that, or, you know, kick it out to, a, you know, a guy, hopefully like a Mirza or Jabari. And maybe that'll help him when, uh, when uh, either one uh, or more specifically Jabari returns. Okay, Jordan, let's move it on. Let's move it on to the Jack Bauer count. We're both professionals. You know that I can force this information out of you, but I'm running out of time. Okay, Jordan, so four games since we last recorded? Three games? I have Four games, right? I can't remember. Anyway, there's been games this week. Have there been Jack Bowers to match? What's the total? 40. Which is up just one from last week. Yep. 
I mean, the one thing we didn't bank on at the start of the year was the correlation between bad defense and Jack Bowers. So, you know, maybe we're maybe we're good now to root against them in the more conservative Prunty defense. But yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see if Buck's pressure returns, maybe in some sort of new positive form. Seems unlikely, but we'll see. Let's look to the week ahead, Jordan. Let's make our predictions. Uh, busy slate for the for the books. Again, they will have a Sunday matinee game next week, which we'll be recording after. So a four-game slate for the books this week. That starts off on Monday night. On second game of back-to-back, the books return home to host the Philadelphia 76ers. This is the first time they played the Sixers, of course, since Joel Embiid went to... Went all process over results and possibly got Jason Kidd fired. <laughs> What's your feeling for the return game? It will be Jamal Embiid's first ever career back to back. I'm excited. Uh, and obviously, Giannis will be playing too. He did not play last time either. That's right. Um, I think the Bucks eke it out. I th- I'll go Bucks by s- seven. I'm gonna go books too. I'm I'm gonna go books by I don't know, books by nine. I think the books out of six is one. I think back home riding some positive energy right now, the books should be should be in a good position to get that one done. After that one, they will have a couple of days off. And they'll return to action on Thursday, the first of February. They will visit the Twin Cities, and play the Minnesota Timberwolves. What's your feeling? Oh, this is going to be another tough test. Another tough test. I'm going to go Wolves by eight, and the prunty undefeated era comes crashing down. I mean, he could prove us wrong on that, because, I mean, he's prunty. He may have magical powers. We haven't seen enough yet to, to know for sure. It's looking good right now. I'm going to go Wolves too. I'm going to go Wolves by four, though. Uh, I. It's funny how quickly things can change, but I just don't see the books losing heavily at the moment. They just seem quite spirited. There's something there that I think, you know, they should be in most games. Second night of a back-to-back. Friday, they will return home, I guess, much like their first back-to-back of the week, short trip, where they go from Chicago home to play the 76ers. They'll go from... Minneapolis home to play the Knicks. What's your prediction for that one? Michael Beasley return game. It is indeed. Oh, I've waited for this day. Um, I think Bucks. I think that. I think that's gonna be a route. I'm gonna go Bucks by 17. Wow, 17. Um, uh, the Knicks are better than that. <laughs> There's no way I could go by 17. They have enough that they could cause the books some problems. I'll, Trey I'll go... Burke is balling. Has he been balling in the NBA? Yes, he he's doing pretty well. I, I think he's actually started over Frankie Smokes at some point. Oh, don't know how I feel about that one. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. is back from injury. He's playing well. He's having a really good season after a slow start. Porzingis is obviously having a good season. I'm going to go books again. I'm going to go books by six. Uh, to close out the week, we have that matinee game. I believe it is... Uh, 11. Right, 11 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Oh, that's right. That's why it is. 11 a.m. Central start against the Brooklyn Nets at the Barclays Center. What's your prediction? Prunty's revenge. Uh, 
Bucks by Bucks by fourteen. I fully expect the Bucks to follow up basically like they did. I'm gonna go Bucks by twenty two. Oh. I think I think they can go out there and run up a number. I was very impressed by how they dealt with that. That would have been a game that would have made me feel very uncomfortable in the past, but it's a new dawn, it's a new day, Jordan. Now you're in New York. I don't that's that that song. Anyway, we've been through this before. That was feeling good. I've been through this and you didn't know the song. Happened again. Anyway, Jordan, that is it for us for this week. If you liked what you heard, you can come back. Specifically that last part. Or not so much that part. But if you want more from us, you can subscribe to Snapple Podcasts, Foss and SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, favorites on TuneIn Radio. We'll be back on Friday as usual, unless there's any breaking news to bring us back sooner. You can also read all of our work, mine, Jordan's, the rest of the teams, at BehindTheBookPass.com. Follow us on Twitter, at Win6Podcast, and we'll be back with you soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.